Today's scripture reading is going to come out of the Gospel of Luke. I'm calling a bit of an audible. It's not going to be the section listed in your bulletin, but I do have a slide with it that will show up on the screen here where you can follow along there or in your own Bible. We're going to be reading the first four verses of the Gospel of Luke. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. This is the reading of God's word. You may be seated. As you are seated, we have Kingdom Kids today. And so we invite all of our kiddos to head right on over here. And there they go. <laughs> Don't you love that sound? That's a great sound. <laughs> there goes Pauline. You can pray for Pauline. Oh, <laughs> Well, so good to be with you guys today. <laughs> I love it. Well, if you were with us last week, you know that we have begun a new reading plan that is taking us through the New Testament as well as Proverbs and Psalms. I'll be preaching primarily from the New Testament during uh, this entire year. And so if you have not picked up a Bible reading plan yet, we encourage you to do so. There's some on the tables as you exit today. Um, we did create a reading plan for kiddos as well, and that reading plan for kiddos looks a lot like the one for adults, but in blue it says, plus journal, kids edition, January through April. And so this one right here has the same reading plan the adults are going through, so parents, you can help your kids work through the scriptures together. Um, one thing I would, I would maybe advise you to do, is, especially with little ones, is just read with them through the Gospels and the New Testament readings. It's highlighted in yellow there for you, okay? And that, I think they can track along with well. And for those who can read and write for themselves, Ms. Rosemary's put together this neat little daily journal where they can record uh, not only uh, their thoughts, but their prayer requests, the things they're thankful for, as well as some things that they, as they're reading in the Bible, some things that God is speaking to their little hearts about. And so this is a great resource. Um, and then the, the adult reading plan also has some instructions in it on journaling and uh, using prayer cards. Um, some of you, maybe you've never read the Bible for yourself, and so having a reading plan at all is a big first step. And so I just say start with that. Just start with taking this plan and every day going through and reading from the New Testament, uh, Proverbs and Psalms, and just make that your daily practice for a while. For some of you who have done that before and you want to kind of go a little bit deeper, and that's where the journaling and prayer cards come in hand. And there's... A, explanation in the first page of your handout of your uh, packet there's an explanation on this page on prayer cards I've, we're taking this from a resource called a praying life which is a book by paul miller and so i cite that in there but you can go in here fill out every one of these packets should have four uh, prayer cards it's one sheet they're perforated you just tear them off they're like postcard size and it's got uh, it looks like that it's on the on there and so you can take that fill out your prayer card and then also journaling is a big part of, of uh, our prayer, of our exercises this year that we're encouraging to, you to participate in. And so if you need those, just go by, pick them up. They're in the back. 
If you're watching from Facebook or by some chance maybe we run out of some of these, you can download both of these at the website, fbckennedy.org slash Bible, and you will find uh, both the handouts. You'll also find a lot of other good resources there, so I encourage you to go check that out. One of the resources I highly encourage you to do is get a good study Bible. It's one of the best resources you can have as you're going through and reading Scripture. And uh, we actually had a generous donation this week to help us buy more study Bibles because we gave out all the study Bibles we had out last week. So we've got more study Bibles. So I've got two here on the table and three in the back. So if you don't have a study Bible, come by and get one of these after service today. And one of the things that I mentioned last week that I want to encourage you to do is in that study Bible, it's got notes on the bottom. It's got the scriptures at the top and the notes on the bottom. And the notes help explain some of the things that you're reading in the scriptures on top. So as you go through your daily reading plan, you'll notice that there's only five days, Monday through Friday. That leaves Saturday and Sunday off. What you can do is as you're reading through, you may not have time to go deep in some of those scriptures you're reading, but you may like, oh, I'd like to study that more. I'd like to better understand that passage of scripture. Use Saturday and Sunday in your study Bible to sit down and study some of those passages as well. And so that's a helpful resource. So if you don't have a good study Bible and you need one, and if you don't have one, I think you do need one because they're such a great resource, just come by, get one after service today. Now, as, you, as I mentioned before, where we're at right now is we are reading through the Gospels together. And so I want to take this opportunity uh, to talk about the four Gospels that we have, uh, why we have four, Uh, outline a little bit of each, and then talk about kind of the big picture of the four Gospels and what it's trying to communicate to us as believers. And so uh, I I was praying about this, and I was putting together my notes and everything, I thought, I really don't want this to feel like a lecture, okay? I want it to feel like a sermon. I want it to feel like a message. But it may get a little lectury, so let me apologize on the front end of that, okay? And um, hopefully you'll want to take notes, but let let me say, you know, I'm going to have slides. I don't normally have slides. If, if you're um, new with us here this morning, you know I don't normally have slides with lots of information on it. Uh, and so part of it feeling luxury is going to be slides with lots of information on it, okay? So what I did is I printed those slides, and there are handouts as you exit today on the table in the foyer. So don't feel like you've got to furiously scribble down everything that you see on a slide because that's going to show up on that printout, and you can just grab one on your way out. And if we run out for some reason, just let me know. And I can easily email that to you. Okay, now, with all that said, let me pause and pray. And if you would pray with me as well, and then we will dive into God's word together. Father God, we are just so very grateful that you have, in your wisdom and in your love, blessed us with Sundays to come together, to sing together, to worship you, to pray, to give, to fellowship. That so many blessings flow from these Sundays, and we just thank you that you've blessed us with them. You've given these days to us to be together, to worship you. And I pray as we worship you through the study of your word that you'd help us to, uh, Father, tune our minds in to what you want to have to say to us. Uh, Soften our hearts to receive Uh, the correction, the instruction, the encouragement that you want to send our way through the power of your spirit. And Father, ready our hands and feet to take what we hear and learn today and not just be, as your servant James would say, not just be hearers of the word, but we would walk out of here encouraged by your spirit to be doers of your word, to take what we hear today and put it into practice in our daily lives. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. So one of the things about the reading plan, as you're reading through, 
you'll notice that we are reading through the Gospels harmoniously. Now, what that means is that we're reading bits and pieces of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in kind of a chronological order. The reason we're doing that, ideally, that's probably not the best way to read it, to be honest with you, but it's the easiest way to preach it, okay? So y'all kind of have to bend towards the preaching a little bit. Sorry for that. But it's going to be a little bit easier to preach through these uh, passages together. But I want to talk a little bit about uh, why we have four Gospels to begin with. Why, Why do we need four accounts? And um, at one book, my guy named Pink, you don't need to know all the details, but he wrote a book about why there's four Gospels. He made a really great point, is that if you take someone and you say you take a picture of their life, what picture would you choose to capture who they are? You couldn't choose just one, could you? If you're going to take a picture of my life, for example, you, you'd probably take a picture of me up here doing this. But that's not my whole life. you need a family picture in there. And you probably need a picture of me... You know, doing something I enjoy doing, like hiking or being outside or taking naps, which that's a little weird. Don't take pictures of me taking naps. But, but you need multiple pictures to get a full view of anyone. We are complex creatures, right? And Jesus is so awesome, amazing, one picture won't do. One story of him won't do. And so God saw fit to give us four gospel accounts of his life to really give us a picture of who he is. And one of the things you'll notice as you're reading through these Gospels is you'll notice that the first three Gospels are kind of alike. They kind of tell the same stories, kind of in the same order. And then you get to the Gospel of John, and the Gospel of John feels very different. Okay, so the first three Gospels are, are called uh, the Synoptic Gospels. Synoptic means the synoptic, and it's Greek for, that word is Greek for seen together, because those first three Gospels kind of fit together, and John comes along and is very different, doesn't tell the same stories, tells a lot of different things, and, then, and it will tell things in different order, and so it gets, it gets different, okay? And, and so that's another, you know, beautiful part of having four Gospels, is you do get these four different pictures of who Jesus is. Now, I've already referenced this once, and most of you may already know this, but the four Gospels I keep referring to are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we call them Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is because that's who we believe wrote these four Gospels. Now, when you read through, you'll find out in, no, in none of them do any of the writers of the Gospels say, this is Matthew, and I'm writing this Gospel, and I'm writing them too. Uh, you'll see only in Luke, Luke's the only one that tells us who it's addressed to, and he's addressing it to a guy named Theophilus. We'll get to that in just a minute. But... The point is, is that in these four Gospels, you have four authors in in the church early on, after the resurrection of Jesus, and as you get out of kind of the early part of the church, the church began to recognize through, and you can go and look at the history books and see some of this uh, that's outside of the Bible. It will tell you, you know, that the the assumption is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote these four Gospels. So you're not going to find it written in the Gospels that they are the authors, but that is uh, almost surely who these authors are. So why do we have four? We've covered that. And the second question we want to ask is, why do, why do we call them Gospels? Because oftentimes that's how we refer to it, the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, and so on. Because the word Gospel means good news. If you've been around church much, you know that. If not, you learned a new word today. And so congratulations. You can go and share that with someone else, which is the whole idea of the Gospel. Because the Gospel is news. News that is meant to be shared. But what's it news about? And you may, you may know the answer. What's this news about? Y'all give it a shot. What do you think? That was so... Come on. We, this isn't the first Sunday of January, y'all. 
the crowd last week, you know, I understood. They partied all night. But you guys are fully rested. What are the Gospels about? Oh, there we go. All right. Now you're sounding like second Sunday in January, folks. Okay. Yeah, they're about Jesus, right? They're about his life. They're about his death. And they're about his resurrection. That's the primary things that the gospel is about. And it's news. News news that is meant to be heard, received, and told. And this is one of the things that makes our faith so unique. Is that our faith is based in what has been done for us primarily. It seems to me that all other religions in the world will tell you what you need to do to be right with God. Christianity stands alone and different in that it tells you what God has done to make you right with God. This is news. See, God doesn't call you to go out and make news. He says you just need to receive this good news and then live in light of the news that you have heard and received. So that's why we call them gospels, because it's good news. Good news to be heard, to be received, and to live in light of. Now... Final question before we get into kind of some details about each of the Gospels, because I want to kind of give you an overview of each. This question, why can we trust them? Why are the Scriptures, particularly the Gospels, trustworthy? And that's why I wanted to read Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 to you. I won't get into it too much because, again, we're going to cover that in a minute. But you saw there Luke saying... I have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who were from the first eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Now listen to what he says. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning. As you have Luke saying, and I think we can trust this across not only the gospel accounts but the the whole of scripture is that the Holy Spirit is speaking to these authors and helping them to carefully record the Word of God to us. And you see it admitted there by Luke. He is carefully compiling what we have here. But he says something else that's interesting. He says that these accounts are handed down to us. And sometimes, uh, if if you're watching an old movie or an old TV show, um, and you see them pick up the phone... And, you know, there's like that cord attached. Do you all remember those? And then, and then they dial a number, somebody's number. And I think about, I'm watching this, I'm like, how do they remember those numbers? Like, that's amazing to me now, right? You have an iPhone. Other than your number and probably your spouse's number, and if you have kids, their numbers, how many numbers do you remember? I have total, like my brain, once that became an option to just push a button on a phone and I don't have to remember a number, my brain said, we're going to use that space for other things, like trivia facts about the office or something like that, you know? Like that's what that my brain just decided. I don't need that space anymore, right? But that's not how it always was. See, I, I'm in that weird generation where I remember when we didn't have cell phones and we didn't have that option. And, you ha- and I remember it's like, okay, I used to be able to do that. I used to be able to remember people's numbers and push them on the phone and get them on the phone. I, I used to be able to remember things. Now, see, this is something that's different about our culture than the culture of Jesus' day. They were an oral culture. They would tell stories, and they would, because of, of how they grew up hearing stories and being trained to listen to stories, they could remember them accurately. And so it may seem like to us, well, you just heard some stuff and then you wrote it down. Well, how in the world can you trust that? Because that's the culture we live in, right? 
But that's not the culture they lived in. And so they, they were able to hear those things, hear those stories, remember those stories, and record them accurately. Not to mention the fact that the four gospel accounts are taking place just a few decades after the death of Jesus. So they're very close to the, to the events that took place in Jesus' life. And so I think we can say that we can fully trust them. Now, one thing you may notice as you're reading through the Gospels, you may begin to realize, well, they don't all tell the same stories. They don't, they don't all tell them the same way. They don't always tell them in the same order. What's up with that? And this is something that's also important to understand. Difference between our day and their day. In our day, if we're going to write a biography about someone, what do we do? We start from the beginning. We tell their whole life story. We describe what they look like and all the bits and pieces, all the details we can fit into a a reasonable size book, right? But that's not how ancient authors would write biography. They weren't concerned as much about chronology, telling their story start to finish. They weren't concerned about describing physical features. Sometimes you see that in the scriptures, but often you don't. Jesus is a great example of that because you will not find in the New Testament gospel writing a description of Jesus. Uh, So you're not going to see that. You're not going to hear everything about Jesus' life. And in fact, in in John, the Gospel of John, the writer there will confess, there was a lot I could have told you, but I narrowed it down to this set because I have a particular reason I'm writing to you. And that is something that's important to know is those ancient authors who would write biographies in the Gospels are no different is they have an intention for writing what they wrote. They weren't just trying to accurately record a historical uh, piece about a a person who was important. They are are choosing what they share and how they share and even the order in which they share it because they want to to deliver a message to their their audience and they want, uh, overarching, they want to make much of the person they're writing about and they want you to emulate them. And so if you see that coming across, it's like, well, wait a second. In this gospel, it says it this way. In this gospel, it says it. Don't, don't get too wrapped up in that. Some of those things can actually be resolved. And a good study Bible will, will explain how they resolve each other. But often enough, if the stories are in different order or whatever, it's just because the, that's just not how they, that's not their concern, is to get things in chronological order. What the Bible is intended to do, it does perfectly. Sometimes we want it to do other things, but that's not what God intended to do with the scriptures. What it's intended to do to tell us about God and about us and how we have failed in our relationship with him, but how God has made it right for us in Christ and how we should live in light of that good news we talked about a minute ago, that it does perfectly. So I think and believe and hope you do too that we can trust not only the gospels, but the whole of scripture. Now, I want to kind of shift gears a little bit, and I want to walk through these four Gospels and talk a little bit about them to give you a snapshot. Now, now when we get to this point, you know, there's a lot of, there's too much information on the screen. I apologize. That's, that's error on my part, and the font is a little small. So just hang in there with me. These are on the handout in the back that you can pick up. So if you miss something, don't worry too much about it. Let's start with the Gospel of Matthew, my favorite, because it's Matthew, and come on. Did you know Matthew means gift from God? My mother told me that my whole life. I'm pretty sure it's true, just based on facts. Uh, I'm sure you would not disagree with that. Gospel of Matthew. uh, The author of the Gospel of Matthew is a guy named Matthew, who was one of the 12 disciples and was a former tax collector. Uh, From evidence we can see, the assumption is is that he wrote this gospel around the mid-60s. Now, I mentioned this is not the earliest gospel account. That would be Mark. We'll cover that in a second. But I mention this because, remember... 
Jesus, his death took place somewhere around 30 to 33 A.D. So I'm not great at math, but let's just say it's 30. And let's say it's 60. That's only three decades. Not a lot of time has passed between when Jesus is... Jesus died and was resurrected, and the writing of these gospel accounts, and you see that even with Matthew, which is not the earliest written gospel, as it's written around 60. Now, the audience, as you read through the gospel of Matthew, you get a pretty clear picture that Matthew is writing predominantly to Jewish Christians, possibly those residing outside of the Holy Land area who were excommunicated from the local synagogues due to their faith in Jesus. Now, why is he writing them? He's writing them to remind these Jewish Christians of the teachings of Jesus. And because you see a lot of that in the Gospel of Matthew, a lot of Jesus teaching, right? And you get to the end of Matthew, and what does Jesus tell his disciples? I want you to go out and tell, I want you to teach people what I have taught you. So that seems to be something really important that Matthew has recorded for us. He wants these Jewish Christians to be reminded of the teachings of Jesus and to encourage them to continue following Jesus, who is the long awaited Messiah. Now, That is something that is really important to keep in mind when we talk about the Gospel of Matthew. Because Matthew is presenting to his Jewish audience, you remember the Messiah we've been waiting for? You remember how God kept telling us that one day he's going to send a king of kings to sit on the throne of David eternally? You remember that stuff? Well, all that stuff was about this guy, Jesus. He wanted his Jewish audience to know that because they would have known all that stuff. All that stuff we talked about a lot last year, all the way through the Old Testament, you're, you're getting this, this picture of hope that one day God is going to send someone who's going to make things right. Well, Jesus is that person. And Matthew is wanting his uh, fellow Jewish Christians to, to know that and be encouraged by, by that, that, that this is uh, the Messiah we've been waiting for and hoping for. And, and that's the portrait of Jesus. That Matthew is is showing that that's remember the portraits you got to have multiple portraits or pictures of someone to get a full view of who they are. Well, Matthew's portrait or picture of Jesus is one as the promised Messiah. You could go to a lot of places. In fact, Matthew one's a great place to go. But I'm going to show you a different passage. If you read Matthew one, you'll see Messiah a lot in there. If you read Matthew 16, you'll see it as well. I picked this story because Jesus is with his disciples and he's asking them, what do people, who do people say that I am? And they say, well, these folks are saying this and that. And then Jesus says to them, what about you? Here he's talking to Peter. Or he's talking to the group. Peter's the one that responds. But what about you? Matthew 16, 15 begins. Who do you say I am? And Simon Peter nails it. He says, you are the what? Messiah. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, man, you are blessed. This was revealed to you not by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. That our, my father in heaven is clearly communicating to you that I am the Messiah. Now, what is that Messiah? Messiah means, of course, anointed one, one that God had anointed and chosen to be ruler of everything and to make things right in the world. And that is who Jesus is. Gospel of Mark. Gospel of Mark is written by a guy who's actually named John Mark. And uh, John would have been his Hebrew name. Mark would have been his uh, Grecian name. And so in the book of Acts, you see him actually going by both names. John Mark was uh, an associate of Peter. And we assume with a pretty good uh, reason 
that a lot of what Mark writes down is actually coming from Peter. That Peter is telling him the stories of Jesus and Mark is recording them. Mark also was a part of missionary work with Barnabas uh, and Paul and the book of Acts I mentioned and the scripture references there. You can go and read that sometime if you'd like. Now, we think that Mark is the earliest written gospel, written somewhere around the late 50s or early 60 A.D. And the audience is possibly the Jewish and Gentile believers in Rome. And like many of the gospels, if not really truly all the gospels written to Christians everywhere, particularly those who are suffering under persecution, which the Christians in Rome's the Christians in Rome would have been. Now his aim then is to encourage them as they go through that persecution to take up their cross and follow Jesus. Mark 8:34 and 35 records Jesus or records that very uh, encouragement. In that passage we read, then he called this is Jesus. Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants, to lo- whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So Mark is writing with a specific intention to encourage those under persecution to say, Listen, this is the life Jesus has called us to live. It's one of sacrifice. It's one of servanthood. This is what Jesus has called us to live out. And Jesus modeled that for them and for us. Where do we see that? Mark 10, 45. One of my favorite verses. Probably the first. It may be the first verse I ever memorized besides Jesus wept. If you know the Bible, you know that's the one everybody. John 3, 16. Jesus wept. Uh, Those two stand out as as, uh, probably the ones we maybe all first memorized if, if we grew up in church. But Mark 10, and I'll read the context for you too. Uh, is saying that Jesus says to you, take up your cross and follow me. But he also does. He does it himself. Mark 10, 42 through 45, this falls on the heels of some of Jesus' disciples who are trying to jockey for a position of greatness. After that takes place, Jesus called them together and said... You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave to all or servant of all. For even the Son of Man, and this is the verse I memorized Uh, Early on in my teenage years. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus says to us, when I take up my cross, I am showing you how to live your life. I'm not asking you to do something I'm not willing to do. When I call you to be a servant, only see how I serve and follow my example. And that seems to be a a big part of what what Mark is trying to communicate. And in fact, that is the portrait. That is the picture that, that Mark is showing us of Jesus is that of suffering servant. Which you can find more about the suffering servant in Isaiah, particularly Isaiah chapter 53. It's a prophetic word about a suffering servant. 
And in the Old Testament, they saw king of kings and they saw a suffering servant as two different things. But in Jesus, you have both. And see, you and I, we, we like king of king idea. We, we like sitting on our own throne idea. We like being in charge idea. We like telling people what to do idea. But this whole idea of suffering servant, that's much, much harder. That's much more difficult. I've got a great example because I went to small group this morning and Kevin told me one and it fits perfectly. I didn't think about it till just now. That's the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Tell me if I get it wrong, Kevin. I'm going to mess this up. Okay, so we can all be a chicken or a ham. Kevin gave this illustration in small group. The chicken gives what it has at no cost to itself. It's just popping out eggs left and right. But a ham, in order for you to enjoy that sweet, sweet bacon, has to give all of itself, right? Now, Christians, we're we're not called to just give when it's convenient. We're called to give of ourselves when it's inconvenient, when it actually costs us something. And Mark is encouraging us to do so. Gospel of Luke. Gospel of Luke. There's actually some contention about this, but uh, we know Luke wrote it. We know Luke is a medical doctor and a companion of the Apostle Paul and Barnabas in their missionary journeys that we read about in the book of Acts. Uh, And the assumption is, uh, I think probably the strongest evidence is, is that Luke is a Gentile. Gentile is just anyone who's not Jewish. Now, Matthew, uh, Mark, and John, all Jewish. In fact, as far as I can tell, it seems like Luke is the only one who potentially is not Jewish. Out of all the writings of the, of the scriptures, he's the only Gentile who recorded uh, a portion of the scriptures. Uh, that becomes important, as we'll see in just a minute. But let me get through some of these other little details first. We assume he wrote around 70 A.D. Uh, in fact, there, there's a lot of belief that Mark wrote first, and so Matthew and Luke used a lot of his material John, again, John's very different, so you're not going to see that in John. But Luke probably read Mark's gospel and used some of his material. But he's also traveling with Paul, and Paul was an apostle himself. And though he was not one of the 12 disciples on, uh, when Jesus was doing his earthly ministry, he certainly ran in those circles once he became a Christian and heard a lot of those stories. And again, because it's an oral culture, he's able to absorb those things and record them accurately. And so he's the one that not only wrote the gospel, but he also is the only one who may be Gentile. And he's also the only one that uh, wrote a sequel to his gospel. Uh, Luke wrote the book of Acts. I I took a long time to preach through the book of Acts. If you want to hear some sermons on that, you can go to the website and listen to those. Uh, The book of Acts, also written by, by Luke himself. And Luke, in the book of Acts, begins to include himself in some of his writing. He starts to use language like we, meaning he was a part of what he was recording. And so he was there for a lot of that missionary work with Paul and Barnabas. Uh, The audience. Well, we read at the beginning of Luke that there's a guy named Theophilus that he's writing to. And Theophilus is a name that means loved by God. And we're not sure if that was like an actual person or if that was just a way to address all of those loved by God. But it sure does read like this was a this was a human uh, this was an individual person or a real person in in history. And and it's very possible because of the way that uh, Luke addresses Theophilus as uh, most excellent that is recognizing this is a guy of means. In fact, he may be kind of bankrolling Luke's work, helping because it wasn't cheap to write things down 
on papyrus and get it around to other places. That costs money. And so it may be that Theophilus is one who is, is financially helping Luke to get this gospel out into the world. Um, he's also writing from the perspective, assuming he is a Gentile, he's writing from the perspective of a Gentile, and he's writing to Gentiles. Now, one of the reasons why we think that maybe he is not a Gentile is because he has such a thorough knowledge of the Old Testament. You see that coming through in his gospel. However, there were those called God-fearers in the Bible, and those were Gentile people. Again, it just means ethnically they were not Jewish, but it also means religiously they were not Jewish. They had not converted to Judaism. But they were still very, uh, very knee-deep in, in Judaism. Even though they had not officially converted, God-fears are Gentiles who believe in Yahweh, which is the like, official name of God, uh, of the God of the Hebrews, God's people in the Old Testament. And so they, they would closely follow along uh, with what, the Jew, what they would learn from Jewish scripture and would want to please Yahweh with their life. And uh, so... When you read through, you see that his aim is to give this accurate account of Jesus' life, which we saw in chapter 1. Because he wants to bolster the confidence in believers for their sake. And he says that specifically uh, to Theophilus in verse 4 of chapter 1. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Why? For the sake of the church's spirit-driven mission in the world, to take this gospel to all people. And this is something that's really important about Luke, is Luke is saying this gospel, this good news, is for everybody. And I'm so glad he had that perspective. I'm so glad that Paul did as well once you get into the book of Acts. Because I don't know about you, but I'm not Jewish. I'm guessing you're probably not Jewish either. You know what that makes us? Gentiles. You, you know why we're sitting here in a church talking about Jesus, reading the Bible, is because God told people like Luke, it's for them too. Now, that may sound, you know, I know that. But, but you need to understand something. It's not just that it was for the Gentiles. It was for those who, who were far from God. It was for the outcasts. It was, for, it was for sinners. It was for those of us who screwed up last night. It was for those of us who've made a mess of our lives. It's for those of us who have addictions and anger problems and, and our marriage is falling apart. It's for you. It's not just for some. It's not just for the religious elite. It's not just for those who are on the end. It's for all of us. And Luke is communicating that to us. And I hope you hear that. I hope you know that it's for you as well. His aim is to give this account to encourage the church and what they believe, to take this good news out to everyone. And we are the benefactors of that. Now, the portrait that Luke is painting of Jesus is that Jesus is the Son of Man. Jesus is human. In fact, in, in, in Luke's genealogy of Jesus, he doesn't trace it back to David and Abraham. He doesn't stop there. He goes all the way back to Adam. Why? Because he's saying Jesus is for everyone. He is human. He's not just Jewish. He was. But he's human. And as a human, he came for all humans, not just some. So Jesus is this son of man. 100% human. But he's also 100% God. And that's what John tells us. The Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, I'm not going to jump ahead. 
But the gospel, I am going to jump ahead. But the gospel of John does tell us that God is 100% God. Our Jesus is 100% God. Just as he is completely man, he's also completely human. Or completely human, he's also completely God. So the author of the gospel of John, of course, John, son of Zebedee, one of the 12 disciples, uh, records himself in John chapter 13, 23, as the one whom Jesus loved. Uh, now, I always thought that was kind of boastful, the one who Jesus loved, you know, like all those other turkeys. I don't know about them, but Jesus loves me. Uh, the Bible tells me so. I, ha- I have a whole song about it. I don't know. So, sorry. Uh, so, so the Gospel of John, written by John, the one whom Jesus loved, I think it's more of a humble way of, of inserting himself without making it about him. He didn't put his name in there, but he's referencing his um, experience in the story of Jesus. I think that's more accurate. Um, he's also the author of First, Second, and Third John, and we believe he's also the author of Revelation. The date in which he wrote is a big range. Unlike the others, you can narrow it down to within a decade or so. Not so much with John. There's not enough evidence in John to help us kind of figure out when he wrote his gospel. But it's very possible that he wrote anywhere from 55 to 98 A.D. And it may be as narrow as 80 to 85 A.D. It's just very hard to tell. Now, one of the things I kind of discovered is that and, and when you think about it, I mentioned John 3.16 earlier. It's a very uh, evangelistic verse. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that whoever b- would believe in him uh, might have eternal life. Right? So um, you, when you read through John, you do get this distinct impression that he is writing to evangelize. In fact, this is exactly what he says about why he wrote his gospel in John 20. Verse 30 and 31, Jesus performed many miracles, other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John sees what he is writing as an evangelistic work. Now, to evangelize means to share that good news. And that's exactly what he's doing, is he's sharing the good news, possibly to unbelieving Jews themselves who are living outside the Holy Land. But as with all the Gospels, I think not only do they have a core audience, but they also have a wider audience, which is all people. His aim is to share this good news of Jesus with them. And his picture that is unique uh, in, in the Gospel accounts is that he has he paints for us this big picture of Jesus as not only human, but also God. And we see that in John chapter 1. In John, in John chapter 1, in the, in the first chapter of his gospel, he is saying things like, uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then later on he gets to saying, the Word is Jesus. So you're saying Jesus was, he, he was around before the world was created? You're saying Jesus was with God at that time? You're saying Jesus is God? And John would say, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So when you see Jesus on the cross dying for our sins, you see God. That's incredible to me. The God you and I serve is a God who's willing to die for us and did. Now, I don't want you to get confused. I'm not saying the Father was on the cross. I'm saying the Son, Jesus, Son of God, is another way of saying God. 
Because you can't be the son of God or son of anyone and not be of that same substance. And Jesus is God. He is giving his life on the cross for us. That's the God you serve. Now, to wrap this up, it hasn't been too luxury, has it? Y'all, y'all seem to be hanging in there. Y'all are doing good. Though there are four Gospels, they are telling one big story about Jesus. They're telling the Gospel story. This story is good news to all who hear it and receive it. And the good news is this. We need a Savior and we have a Savior. And this Savior is able to save us from our two, what should be our two greatest fears. Our greatest fear should not be how, many, how few likes we're getting on social media. Our greatest fear should have nothing to do with, with how high we rise in our work. Our greatest fear should be sin and death. Now the devil likes to, to distract us from those realities and get us to worry about things that really don't matter all that much in the big picture. But the good news deals with the biggest stuff. Sin and death. And the good news is that we have a Savior who can get us out of those things. And one of my favorite places that outlines that is in 1 Corinthians 15. A whole chapter dedicated to the resurrection of Jesus. And there the Apostle Paul says, The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. These gospel writers are writing gospel to us, good news about Jesus' life and death and resurrection. News that we are to receive and to live in light of. Maybe that's the question that I leave you with as we enter into a time of invitation is, have you received it? Maybe you're still trying to make you right with God. You're still trying to come up with your own news instead of simply receiving the news that has been shared with you. Maybe stop trying and just receive the fact that Jesus died for you and all you have to do is that, is receive it. Or maybe the second question that we can think about as we respond to the Lord in our time of invitation is, yeah, I've received it, but I'm not living in light of it. I've received this good news, but my life doesn't really reflect the kind of grace God has shown me in in Christ. Maybe you, you beat yourself up all the time and you're hard on yourself and everybody around you. And and grace, it doesn't doesn't factor in. You heard it, you believed it, great, set it aside, but now you still are living in a life of works. And when you fail, and you will fail, you will sin, you will blow it, you're hard on yourself. You're not living in light of the grace of Jesus. Or maybe by the very fact that Jesus died for you, you haven't said, oh my goodness, look how much God loves me. I want to love Him back. I want to give my life to Him. I want Him not to just be my Savior, but to be my Lord. I want Him to be in charge. I want to live with a single focus of pleasing God because of the grace He has shown me. Maybe you're living for yourself. For what you want. And the gospel would say to you. God has given you grace. And one of the greatest graces he could give you. Is have a relationship with him. 
where you live to please him. Because you know what? That's what, that's what you are made for. You are made to live in a relationship with God in which you seek to please him and he seeks to bless you. That's, that is God's intention for you. And when you live outside of that, you're not going to have the joy that Jesus promises. You're not going to have the full life in John 10.10 10, that Jesus promises you. So maybe it's to say, you know what, I, I need to stop living for myself, living for other people. I need to focus my life on living for the God who has shown me such great grace. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you that even though we've talked.